Good morning. Uh, text for the day is um, a parable, which means there are story elements to it, uh, which is good. Just about any story worth its salt draws you in by its very nature. There's characters and there's uh, narrative structure and there's problems that beg for resolution, and we like stories. But parables have this other thing going on as well where well, you have, they're like puzzles that you have to figure out. They're not often straightforward or simple, and they take a bit of deciphering, which if you're into puzzles and figuring stuff out, that can be very rewarding for you. And because this is one of Jesus' parables, it's not just a puzzle or a story like any other. He doesn't mince his words. There's also a good chance that if and when you figure out what he's saying, that Jesus will show you something about yourself, who will show you something about the world, that will leave you with some real choices to make. His parables tend to be more than just clever and amusing. They're, they're pointy and they're challenging. If you take him seriously and if you can figure out what he's talking about. Now that's a reasonable if because this particular parable, this puzzle, uh, this element of it has bugged me for years. I remember reading this when I was in high school and I just didn't get it. Uh, there, there were parts of it that didn't make much sense. And even this morning, I might, I might ask for your help, actually, because there's a couple of pieces in this parable puzzle that I can't quite get to fit, and not for lack of trying. Uh, if this was a, a jigsaw puzzle, I reckon I'd have all the corner pieces done and the edges sorted out. And the main picture in the middle, I think I figured out. But there's still a couple of the fine details a couple of those annoying pieces here or there I can't find a good home for. So I'll flag the bits I'm less sure about. Uh, if you think you've got it, by all means, share it with the people around you. Fill me into after if you, if you got it. Luke 16, chapter, one, uh, chapter 16, verse 1. And here Jesus tells a parable about a rich man who's about to fire his manager. Uh, the rich man is in a position in life where apparently he doesn't need to be so hands-on anymore with his business and his wealth. He seems like he's one of those who's done well enough to have other people manage the details of his affairs for him. He's still the boss, but he doesn't concern himself anymore with the day-to-day -day transactions. Some paper pusher, some manager, some salesperson he employs can do that for him. Thank you very much. He has his business manager. Who's been authorised to handle... Uh, all his affairs on his behalf. But it so happens that this one day, this rich man hears disturbing news, a bad report about the man that he is appointed to be the manager of his stuff. Verse 1. Jesus told this parable. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. And it's true. This manager wasn't managing the things that his master had given him well. And we're not told much of the detail about what this guy's been doing that's been so dodgy. Was he, was he incompetent? Was he negligent? Was he lazy? Was he unlucky? Was he criminally malicious? It doesn't say. Only that he's wasting his master's possessions. And no master wants that. No boss wants you to, to waste his time and his money and the things that he's given for you to do. And this manager is done for because now the boss knows it. 
He's rightly worried, isn't he, about what's going to happen to him after he loses this job. Now, believe it or not, this bad manager who's getting fired, this manager is actually the anti-hero of our parable. He's the protagonist who we're meant to be learning from. So far, it doesn't seem like he's the kind of person you want to model yourself after. But here's where the parable starts to change. Verse 3. Luke 16, verse 3 says this. The manager says to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. Actually, before we get to what he does, one thing to note here, and it's a good thing about this manager, which will resonate with many of you. He is someone, he seems to be someone who is concerned about his security. He wants a future for himself that he can look forward to. And he's prepared to do something about it, whatever it takes, while he still can, in the present, to set him up well for the future. And you get that, don't you? You, you understand that kind of thinking. Not just those of you who've done the migrating to Australia thing in search of greater opportunities and quality of life for your family, often at great initial cost. No, it's the same sort of logic that sits behind why so many of you study hard. It's not necessarily because a lot of you love learning. No, you're putting in the hard work into study and training now because you believe that it might be an investment that will set you up for better and brighter opportunities in the future. I suspect oh, different parts of our life work like that. Our dieting and our exercise habits are built on this kind of thinking where you or your doctors told you to watch what you eat and to invest in you know, hard work of sweat and exertion now. And some of you might enjoy that, that kind of strange pain and, and, and sweating, but most of you don't, do you? You do it because, and you deny yourself eating yummy things because you have a view and a goal of a healthy body in the future uh, that, that you want. You're not living just in the now, you're thinking about tomorrow. And that looking forward and that kind of planning is a kind of wisdom. You're future-proofing, so to speak. Making choices now that will hopefully pay off in the longer term. And it's what this manager does. He's looking forward and he's letting what he sees, some of his fears and, and what he could achieve, shape his actions right now. The rest of verse 4. This manager says, I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors, people who owed the master money. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. He's making friends. He's giving them big discounts, which he, in his last few days, while he's still temporarily got this managing job, he's still got the, the power to authorize these kinds of deals. And he's hoping, isn't he, that these friends of his that he's making, by slashing their bills, he's hoping that in the very, very near future, when they're going to remember this favor that he's doing for them, 
and that they might pay him back in kind and look after him when he's out in his backside. What does the rich man, the master's, uh, the, the manager's master, what, is, what does the boss think about this? And this is what I found really hard to understand when I first looked at this parable. Uh, verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So I thought the master would be angry that this not very good manager who he's firing because he's done terrible things, he goes and does something that costs his master even more money. And this manager and people like him are exactly why these days they have security remove you from the building if you get dismissed in less than ideal ways because you can't do any more damage on your way out. But verse 8 doesn't say that the master was angry at him. It says almost the opposite. It says he commends him. Why would he do that? Because it says, it tells you, it says in the second half of the verse, the master appreciates this manager's shrewdness. To be shrewd is to be cluey and, and wise and savvy and smart. Now I'm in two minds about what's going on here with the master's reaction and, and how it makes sense. The first option I'm tossing up is that perhaps irrespective of how much money this manager has just cost his master, maybe the master's got so much money he doesn't care. I don't know. But it could be that this master sees this pretty scummy move that this manager makes at his expense, but can somehow still respect how clever the move is. Highly unethical, but very clever. And so maybe the master gives respect where respect is due, just for how clever it is, mind you, not because he's happy about losing his money. That's not how I'd react. I think I'd be more likely to throw the manager to the auditors and sue them for fraud, but each to their own. The second half of the verse, maybe that's what the second half of this verse means, that the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own. They can appreciate shrewdness more than the people of the light. Uh, the second option I'm considering for, for why the master might have commended this manager is that maybe, maybe the discount offered comes at the manager's own expense. Because maybe the manager works on commission. Uh, now that's conjecture. But that level of detail isn't given to us. But it might be reasonable to assume that he's being paid for being a manager and he gets a cut of whatever profits he, he makes in every deal. And like a lot of people in sales, they, they work on commission. And so maybe the discount this manager offers uh, to his master's clients is exactly the amount of money that would be his portion that he gets to take as manager. And so maybe the master loses effectively nothing because uh, the only thing lost perhaps is this manager's own commission, which is sacrificed for some long-term gains. And if that's what he's doing, then that really is clever. Maybe that's why the master isn't cranky with him. But like I say, for this option, you have to be a little more creative in imagining some of these details that's not in the text, even though I might better explain why the master isn't angry with him and actually commends him. You can decide for yourself which one of these two you think is a better explanation of what's going on, or you might have a better third explanation, in which case, do tell. doesn't change the main point either way, which I think is pretty clear. 
Main point, be like the manager. Because for all his faults, this terrible manager is wise and shrewd and clever. Verse 9 is Jesus commending his behavior to you. But it's a tricky verse, uh, Luke 16, 9, because it's probably the most intriguing piece in this whole passage. Um, verse 9, which starts with the words, I tell you, which is Jesus' way of flagging that this is the main point. I tell you. Uh, now, if this was just a strictly, uh, a strictly a parable and a story about a man and his business dealings, if what we're supposed to learn is how to survive when your boss fires you for being incompetent, then you'd expect verse 9 to read like this. Uh, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends, which is what you see in the story, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into their dwellings. They'll take you in, they'll look after you, which is how the logic of the story goes. But that's not how verse 9 reads. Listen closely, especially to the end of verse 9. Because Jesus deliberately switches up the ending of verse 9, just throws one extra word in, in a subtle, not so subtle way to make you think that maybe all along he's not been talking about business at all. So this is how verse 9 actually reads. Jesus concludes, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, given the story so far, you'd expect that line to read, so you'll be welcomed into your friend's dwellings, but it doesn't say that. It says, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Wait, what are we talking about now? Jesus, I thought you were telling us a story about a man getting fired. What's that got to do with eternity? Being welcomed into eternal dwellings. Are we talking about heaven? Since when are we talk, Wait, has this story all been about heaven all along? Yeah. It has. And his point is, be wise, be shrewd, be clever and do whatever you can now with what you've got. Invest now to secure good things for the future. Now, the future Jesus has in mind isn't when you lose a job or the second half of your life or your retirement years. Jesus is talking about, has always been talking about, eternity. Be smart and invest now while you can for the things of eternal value. His kingdom. Eternal security. So be like the manager in the parable. But be even better than him. Because the whole way through, this manager is called the dishonest manager. He's the one who's known to be wasting his master's resources. You do even better. Than him. You take on his savviness in investing in the future and eternity and having a long-term perspective, but you do better than this man. Be a, be a good steward of what God's given you. Verse 10. Jesus continues, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? 
And you might only have very little now. But are you being faithful with the little that you've got? What seems to matter to God isn't whether you have a little or you have a lot. What seems to be significant, I mean, those are our worries, whether we have a little or whether we have a lot. But God, what matters to him is what are we doing with what he's given to us and the opportunities that we have in front of us. Maybe you have a lot. Maybe you have everything you could possibly need and more. You have a towering intellect, you have great physical health, you have emotional resilience, you have more material resources than you can use. What are you doing with the resources that God has given you to be a steward of? Money, the time, the energy, the talents that God has left at your disposal. If news got back to God now about what you're doing, what he's given to you, would he sack you for wasting his time? And if you know you've got to give an account for the choices you're making, do you know the things that count into eternity? The big ticket item is, have you trusted in Jesus? I'll give you that one for free. What else? Could it be that you might have a role to play in making Jesus known? Have you prayed and seriously asked God to show you where he might have you serve him, offering yourself unconditionally? Here I am, God. Send me. And it starts where you are, in your family and your neighborhood. You might be like Michael, driving all around Sydney, Queensland, right, every Wednesday? <laughs> Could be in your places of work, or where you study, in the places where God has already put you. They might not know it, but they need you to take seriously the job of stewarding the gospel of Jesus. I'm told uh, today they're, they're voting over at Eastwood Baptist Church about whether they'll call me to serve as their transitional pastor. And so I may well be going uh, over there before the year is out. Our church has already agreed to release me to help with their revitalization effort, should Eastwood invite me. Plenty of good work to do over at Eastwood. Would you come as part of a team from here? to see the birth of a new church over at Eastwood? Or would you stay here at Penno and step up in a big way? Because Penno will need it. Some of our current ministry leaders and small group leaders and elders uh, will move across. Where could you best steward what God has given you? I'm interested to know which one of you here will be the next to be trained as a pastor. Would you be up for that if that's what God is calling you to and preparing you for? Or to be a Christian studies teacher at Cherrybrook Tech? Or to go to Indonesia to be the next missionary in the name of Jesus? The harvest is plentiful. Even Peno Life that we've heard about today. Would you consider investing in that work again? Or perhaps for the first time. Over the summer, Chris and Jules, they're pulling together a team. Perhaps, perhaps you can help. In fact, they've asked for some time in today's service. And now might be as good a time as any to get you to take out that form, that expression of interest form that was in your, your bulletins. 
If you take it out now, there's, I saw pens scattered on the floor in front of you as well if you need them. And to do the form, but also reflect on the kinds of stewardship you're exercising over the gifts that God has given to you. I believe um, we're going to sing and we're going to collect the forms in a bit, but uh, you, might, you might fill in the form very quickly and easily now, but the main thing I want you to do with this time is to really sit and think about what God has given to you and whether you're being a good steward. Whether you're looking with a long enough perspective about security. Because God has given us so many gifts. Everything we have is a gift from God. Amen.